You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. Jimmy's little reading this morning about, you know, finding God when when you wake up reminded me of a little story. Um, The guy was praying and said, Lord, I just want to thank you for today. It's been a wonderful, wonderful day, Lord. I haven't disbelieved in you. I haven't sinned. I haven't thought any adulterous thoughts. I haven't yelled at my wife. I haven't done anything wrong today, Lord. But now I've got to get out of bed. Okay, Psalm 37. Let's um, have a look at that. When you, when you read through the first, it's a very, very long psalm, and that's why I've sort of chosen to just do the first, um, really the half a dozen verses. Um, but there were some real key words that jump out through that, uh, through that reading. Um, in verse 3, it starts with the word trust um, and goes into dwell um, it goes into, into delight in the Lord, commit, and wait on the Lord. And I think you'd agree any one of those is a wonderful, wonderful truth. Just trust in the Lord. Dwell in his presence. Commit your way. You know, be at, be at peace with God. Any of those you could do a whole sermon on. So um, I just want to share a couple of things from my own personal life. As Jimmy said, I've been a Christian uh, for a few years now. Um, I, I praise God I was actually born into a Christian home um, and mum and dad were very, very committed Christians. Um, <clears throat> my dad, for example, we lived in Ballarat. Um, some people might know Ballarat. We grew up in the shadow of, so- of the Sovereign Hill poppet head, you know, the big poppet head where you go to the gold mine. We were down at the bottom of that hill in, in Main Road there and we went to a church in Ballarat, in the, in the centre of Ballarat, and God asked my dad to go and start a Sunday school at Sebastopol. There was no church out there. And he asked him to start that a Sunday school. And I won't go into the whole story of it, but the long and short of it all was that um, after a lot of prayer and consideration, um, he went out there and he and a couple of my um, siblings, sons and daughter, uh, his sons and daughters, door knocked around Sebastopol and invited the kids, the parents to send their kids to the Sunday school. They hired a hall in Sebastopol, and within a few years they had 100 kids coming to Sunday school, even had an adult class there and there were people getting saved and and God just did a wonderful job out there. So that's my Christian heritage and even though I was born in a Christian home, I certainly still remember the day that I actually gave my heart to the Lord. I was about 13 and I just surrendered and said, Lord, it's you, it's you. I'd sort of been on again, off again, on again and at 13 I really did make the commitment. Verse 3 starts off with, trust in the Lord and do what is good. And my question to you is, what does it mean to trust in God? Look, if I said to you, how many people here trust in God? Can I show you a show of hands? Trust in God? Wonderful. Wonderful. Everyone. What does it mean to you, though, to trust in God? I did the old Google thing. And it says that trust is a firm belief in the reliability the truth or ability of someone or something. Now, for us as Christians, let me just rephrase it. It's a firm belief in the reliability, the truth and ability of God. It's a firm belief in the reliability. Is God reliable? 
Is he truthful? Has he got ability? Good. And so your trust is grounded in what God has got for you. Um, I had a look on the internet. Charles Blondin was the first man to walk on a tightrope across Niagara Falls back in 1859. Now imagine being the first person to do that. Holy moly. <laughs> you reckon you get nervous sitting out here. <laughs> imagine being up above Niagara Falls. And he did a number of times. He did it you know, with his big bar. He did it without the bar. One day he even took a wheelbarrow and wheeled the barrow across Niagara Falls on that thing there. And the story goes that a man was absolutely wrapped with that and said, oh, that, that's amazing, that's amazing, da-da-da. And Bondon said to him, um, do you believe that I can take this barrow across the falls? And he'd already done it. So he said, yeah, yeah, sure, I believe. Hop in the wheelbarrow. See, that's not trust. Trust is a firm belief that this person can do it. All right? So this guy didn't really trust in the Lord. One of the, the stories I remember my father telling me, my um, parents have both gone to be with the Lord now, but they were married during the um, Great Depression, and things were pretty tough in those days. I'm one of eight living children. They had ten kids, eight, eight survived. And they had five kids first, and then there was a fairly big gap between the last three, and I'm in the middle of the last three. Um, so I don't actually remember this story, but I'm, I wasn't actually there, but this is actually, you know, from my dad. Back in the, the Depression, um, they had the five kids by that stage, and he wasn't working. There was no social security, and they had zero in the house, nothing in the house to eat that night. It got to dinner time, and Dad said, set the table. So they set the table, and they all sat down, and he said, let's say grace. And he thanked the Lord for the food that he was going to provide, and they sat there. He had no longer finished saying grace, and a knock came at the door, and the lady from over the road said, look, I've made this great big, it's just her and her husband, I've made this great big pot of stew I don't know why I made so much, but I, I, we can't eat all this. Any chance of you guys using this? Now, that's trust. Imagine saying grace when they, they didn't even have a packet of cornflakes in the house. That's trusting God. How much do you trust God? You know, it's so easy to trust God when we've got a job, money's coming in, the kids are in school and behaving themselves, the mortgage is getting paid, we're sitting in a good church, do you trust God? Well, of course you do. But when do you need to trust God? It's when the rubber really hits the road. And I, I want to share a bit of a, a personal story now that will, will challenge your trust in God. Petra and I um, were married quite young. Um, by the time we were in our early 20s, 24, we had two kids, a boy and a girl, Andrew and Julia. We were serving in the church. We were youth leaders at that stage. And we loved the Lord and, you know, going to church twice a day and doing everything we could possibly to serve the Lord. Um, Petra had had her tubes tied. We had two kids. We didn't want any more than two kids. And we trusted the Lord. And I remember the, the surgeon saying to us, um, you're quite young to have this procedure done. What happens if you need to have more children? And we said, no, we... we we're Christians. Nothing like that ever happens to Christians. Andrew, for his sixth birthday, um, was given a bicycle by his grandfather. 
and Andrew absolutely loved this bike. He would ride up and down the driveway. We had quite a long driveway, and we didn't have a front gate, and he would just drive out in the driveway, turn up the footpath and up the footpath and back again up and down the driveway, and he just drove up and down that. He just loved this new bike that he got from his grandpa. One night in November, just after his sixth birthday, he drove down the driveway and didn't turn. And he drove straight out, rode straight out in the road and one of our neighbours collected him and killed him. And, you know, we were in at the front and we picked up our son and holding the bloodied body of our son in our arms. And, you know, you, you think that just sort of world has ended, you know, with that shock. And I, wanted, I don't want to sort of make it silly and say, well, God took all the pain away and we, we just drifted through and it's just wonderful. No. I've had heart surgery. I've had other surgeries. And the pain of that is nothing compared to the pain of losing a child. Nothing. But I want to tell you that God sustained us through it. We never, ever lost our faith. Our trust that we had in God before was the same trust that we had after Andrew's death. And in fact, at the funeral, one of the songs we sang, um, If Ever I Love You, My Jesus, It's Now. And that Petra and I both chose that song because it did not shake our faith. We trusted in God. Now, you all know the story of Job. Job was a guy who trusted God. He prayed for his kids. He worshipped the Lord. He sacrificed. And you'll know the story between the, the dialogue between God and Satan. And at the end of the story, or not the end of the story, but... All his children were killed. He lost all his flocks, his herds. In other words, he was basically broke and he lost his whole family apart from his wife. And his wife said um, in Job chapter 2, it says, his wife said to him, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. And Job replied, you speak as a foolish woman speaks, he told her. Should we accept only good from God and not adversity? Through all this, Job did not sin in what he said. God will always find a way to ask you, do you trust me? He'll find a new way every day to say, do you trust me? The problem is, when, you, when you're a young person, you have an ego. I'm not saying I don't have an ego now. We all have an ego. That's part of our nature, who we are. And it's independent. It's arrogant. It's self-motivated and self-driven. And God says, do you want to give that to me? Do you want to give that independence and that arrogance to me? And I tell you what, we can always say yes, but it's not until the rubber hits the road that you know whether you are trusting God or not. And so God will find a way this week to ask you, do you trust God? And I pray that you do. And one of the things God just sort of showed me is that, has anybody here in a stressful job has a fair bit of stress? One or two people? Stressful job. Stress comes from a lack of trust in God. You think about it. If you knew that God was going to take care of everything this week, if you actually just knew, if you had a vision in the future and you knew God was going to take care of absolutely everything this week, 
would you go into this week stressed and worried? Of course not. Of course not. So I'll challenge you next time you're feeling stressed and anxious and worried, say, Lord, forgive me for this. I'm trusting in you. I've said that I trust you, and I do. I actually trust you right now, Lord, to work it out. And just give him the stress of it and see where it goes from there. That verse in verse 3 says, trust in the Lord and do what is good. It's interesting that trust is not just a, an airy-fairy, oh, well, I trust and that's it. Trust and do good. We'd have to do things as well. After we lost Andrew, um, Petra saw a thing on TV about a group in Melbourne called Compassionate Friends. It was a support group for, for bereaved parents. And so she contacted them, and I won't go into all the details, but the long and short of it all was that um, with the help of a couple of the people in Ballarat, we started a small group of compassionate, called Compassionate Friends of Bereaved Parents. Um, we left Ballarat a couple of years later and then moved to Hamilton. Um, we started a group down there where there was a, a terrible need. Um, you, you don't realise how many people lose children. You, th- you think, oh, you know, only one in every million. But no, there's a lot of people who lose children for all various reasons. Suicide, asthma attacks, car accidents. And it's just devastating. It really is devastating. And the hard thing is that unless you've lost a child, you really don't know what it's like. We had a lady say to us, oh, look, I know what you're going through. My cat died last week. I can laugh at it now, but I didn't laugh at the time. You've got no idea. And so this group of compassionate friends, we met um, every month and we supported each other. We talked about what we were going through, our feelings. We did some training ourselves on, on you know, grief, the whole grief process and helped people through this. One lady, I remember, um, she lost a grown-up son to a, a motorbike accident and she actually said to us, uh, you know, about 12 months later, she said, you actually saved my life. She was so devastated, she was going to take her own life. She couldn't bear the pain of it. And compassionate friends got her through and she's now, you know, working her way through that. You can't say you trust God and then do nothing. God sends things into your life that will challenge whether you trust him and then he's going to say, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to use that for? How are you going to glorify me? How are you going to grow my kingdom through that? Robert Shuler has a wonderful saying, um, turn your scars into stars. Turn your scars into stars. Allow the things that happen to you that really make you trust in God to really help other people. Let's move right along. The second part of verse 3, I'm only still in the first verse here. I don't think we're going to get finished today. Dwell in the land and live securely. I looked up the, what that word securely meant, and the thought behind that word securely is the thought of a shepherd feeding and keeping watch over his sheep. It's that feeding and keeping. I looked in the Amplified Bible and it says, So you shall dwell in the land and feed securely on his faithfulness, and truly you shall be fed. How often do you feed? There. Imagine if you only fed once a week. You'd be pretty hungry for the rest of the time. 
you don't even feed once a day, do you? Moses feed three plus times a day. <laughs> three main meals and then a little bit of a snack in between. So how do we feed on God's faithfulness? And how often should we feed on God's faithfulness? Well, it's the same as feeding your body. You need to feed on God's faithfulness every day. You know, there's a lot of Christians who attend church and go away hungry. They're hungry in their spirit. They really aren't satisfied in their God, in their spirit. And I would suggest to them that they're not feeding on Christ. It's nice to get a sermon each week. John gives, or Jimmy, whoever's preaching, gives a wonderful sermon each week. But it's up to you to feed yourself through the word of God and feed on his faithfulness. Remind yourself daily of how faithful God is. And then we've got to dwell in the land. So how do we actually dwell in the land as a Christian? I, I think of the, the parallel of um, renting versus owning your own home. You know, we've rented over some times and we now own our own home. And it's funny, isn't it? You can drive down the streets of Caroline Springs or Ainsbury, where I live, and you can say, cell phone, cell phone, rental, cell phone, rental, cell phone. You can tell, can't you? The three, three old burnt-out Commodores in the front yard, grass up to there, plants dead or half-dying, lawn dead, da-da-da, and you go next door, somebody owns it, and the lawn's manicured, the bushes are lovely, the windows are clean. It's just like chalk and cheese, isn't it? Because when you're renting, you've got no ownership. When you own your own home, you invest in it and you make it look nice because it's your own, own investment. You need to put your roots down and dwell in the land. You know, the question is, are you a visiting Christian or are you a dwelling Christian? Have you put your roots down in this house? Because if God's called you here, you need to put your roots down. Let's have a look at Psalm 92. There's a lovely little one there. The righteous thrive like a palm tree and grow like a cedar tree in Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they thrive in the courts of our God. They will start to bear fruit in old age, healthy and green. And I say, amen, praise God for that. <laughs> if you're planted in the house of the Lord and you've put your roots down... You will thrive in the courts of our God. If you think to yourself, am I thriving spiritually or am I struggling? Am I just getting through or am I actually thriving? If, I, if you take that back a step, ask yourself, am I just visiting church or am I got my roots in here and my investment of my time and my energy and my money in the, in the church because they work together, thriving and committing work together. You know, God has given us the block of land next door, just talking about dwelling in the, in the land. The parish council um, tried to rent that out, and there was a number of businesses that were interested in renting that land, but God just kept closing that door all the time, it just, and they couldn't understand what was going on. And in the end, um, they came to the conclusion that God was shutting the doors, not these businesses, God was shutting that door, because we will dwell in that land. That land's ours to dwell on. The day will come when this is going to be just the Sunday school. We won't fit in here. And we'll have a new church out the back there that seats 500 people. And, you know, this will be a nice little kids' area. We'll be able to petition it off for different classes. 
And um, we'll build the youth hall as well. You know, we've got to spare a few million. We'll just build a... Moving right along. We are going to dwell in that land. That's what I'm saying. Go down to verse 4, please. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the heart's desires. Matthew Henry, one of the commentators, says, to delight in God is as much a privilege as a duty. To delight in God is as much a privilege as a duty. You know, we all would say it's a privilege to delight in God. You know, we love God, and just delight in him is a real privilege. But the thought is that it's actually our duty to delight in God. God didn't make us to get us saved and say, well, there you go, guys, you're, you're down there on earth. I'll see you when you die, you know. Hope you, hope you make it. Hope you make it. I'll see you when you die. No, he is intimately interested in you today, in how you're going today, your struggles this week, the problems that you have, the challenges you have. He is intimately you know, interested in that and he wants you to delight in him. To say, Lord, I love you. I love you, Lord. I delight in you. And even if you don't feel like it, Lord, I delight in you. And as you pray that and say that, the feelings might come later. But we need to delight in him. I looked at that word where it says it'll give you your heart's desires. And that heart isn't obviously the physical pump. It says it's a person's innermost yearnings. Now, what are your innermost yearnings? What do you really, really intimately crave for? And I just, you know, from my own experience, my innermost yearning is to love and to be loved and to be valued. True? Little nod here or there. To be loved, to love someone else and to be valued. I mean, for those of us who are married, and I'll speak to the guys here, you'll remember your wedding day. I certainly do standing at the front of the church there and you look back down the aisle and you see the most beautiful woman in the world standing there smiling, beaming, walking down the aisle towards you and I remember almost pinching myself, saying, you know, how could this woman that's coming down here love me so much to commit her life to me? Because I know what I'm like. I wouldn't marry me. No way. And here she was loving me so much that she was going to commit her life to me and have a life together with me. And that's that commitment that God wants with you, that you delight in him just as much as you delighted in your bride as she walked down the aisle. I'll share a little side thing here talking about commitment and and delight. You know, Petra and I have been now married for 46 years. And I remember about... A couple of years ago, two or three years ago, Jono had a thing about marriage at the front there, and he had, I remember John and Suzanne, um, who else? There was a, three or four other people here talking about their married life together and, and how God got them through. Well, I'm just going to put on the line and say we've had a rocky marriage, 46 years. It's been a struggle. It's been a struggle. As I said, I wouldn't marry me. I'm very flawed. I really am. I'm very flawed. Over those years, I've been selfish. Yeah, I have. Petra's got a German mother. <laughs> Anyhow, I won't go with that. Um, 
Needless to say that over those 46 years, there are many, 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 many times where we, either of us could have walked away, could have easily walked away. But we trusted God. We committed ourselves to each other. And one of our daughters, when she was um, in her 30s, actually, came to me one day and we were just talking and she said, Dad, I just want to thank you. And I thought, oh, that's nice. And I'm thinking, what's she going to thank me for, you know, for private school education, which we gave her opportunities to learn music, opportunities to play sport. She said, Dad, I just want to thank you and Mum for staying together. I know it wasn't easy all the time. Because like kids, kids know what's going on in their home. She said, I've got friends at school whose parents have separated, divorced, and it's absolutely wrecked their life because they blame themselves for their parents separating. And kids do that. They take on that, that horrible thing. And she said, thank you for staying together. And I'm not saying this because, you know, Petra and I are just wonderful and we you know, did that. But we just trusted God. We prayed. We trusted God. And, you know, almost every day I say, Lord, can you teach me how to love my wife as you love the church? Obviously, I'm a very slow learner, but he is teaching me. Delighting in the Lord. I'll just hear very quickly. You can only delight in someone if you know them, if you know them intimately. And how much do you know God intimately? How much do you know his presence? I went to a, I was worship leader for many, many years in churches I've been at in the past and attended many conferences on, on worship and worship leading. And I went to one particular conference at a conference centre up in Murnyong and it was interdenominational, it wasn't just one church. And there were people from everywhere. There was Salvation Army, there were Prezies, Anglicans, Pentecostals, there was a whole lot. And we had a lovely, lovely time of worship and some good teaching on that. And then they, they announced that this lady was going to do a dance, a spiritual dance. Now, I've got a Pentecostal church background and I've seen dancing in the church and a lot of it, is very much, look at me, 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 look at me. A lot of it isn't. Some of it's very lovely, but a lot of it's very self. And I go, oh, no, here we go. This lady got up, and she wasn't a young lady. She was, you know, 50s, 60, getting on that sort of age. Had a long, flowing white robe. And she started just, she put this lovely soft music, uh, worship music on in the background, and she just started worshipping the Lord through her dance and she's just twirled around and had her hands up and she's just worshipping the Lord as she danced around. And do you know what? The presence of God fell in that place. Nobody was singing, nobody was saying things. She was just dancing before the Lord and as she danced, the presence of God fell. There wasn't a dry eye in the place. Everyone was in tears and I just felt the presence of God, the Shekinah glory of God, absolutely hit me. I weighed 300 tonnes. I couldn't sit in the chair. I was just, it was just pushing me down. I ended up face, you know, planted on the floor, prostrate before the God in tears, saying, Lord, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, just like Isaiah. And 
when you're in God's presence like that, you have nothing to offer. You have no righteousness of your own. God is so beautiful and so holy and so righteous. You can't help but weep and cry and say, God, I'm so unworthy before you. And I lay there for probably half an hour just worshipping the Lord. And it's that beautiful, beautiful presence of God. Now, I've never, ever forgot that day. You need to experience the presence of God. You know, you need to delight in the Lord. And I know we delight in Jesus, our Saviour, and, you know, we teach the gospel here. And that's wonderful, wonderful. But you need to have quiet times with the Lord. Get some worship music on. Even in the car, just have some lovely worship moving on. And get lost in the presence of God and just worship him. And to me, that's really delight, delighting in the Lord. What time am I finishing, John? Verse 5. I'll try and go through this fairly, fairly quickly. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. Make your righteousness shine like the dawn and your justice like the noonday. My question would be, when will God act on your behalf? We all want God to act on our behalf, don't we? That verse tells you, when you commit your way to the Lord and trust in him, comes back to that trust again, he will act on your behalf. As I said before, I was saved when I was about 13, made a real definite commitment to follow the Lord. For the next five or six years, I was a Christian. I was a teenager going through secondary school. It's not easy being a, a Christian teenager, I tell you. Your hormones are going crazy. You've got friends telling you all sorts of things. You want to fit in with the crowd. You want to be a Christian. I was still going to church twice a day. I was going to youth. But, man, it was a struggle. And I remember getting to about 18 or 19, and I was really, really struggling whether I could make it, whether it was worth it or not. And I remember Petra and I having many, many talks about being a part-time Christian, you know, Sunday Christian, rest of the week, well, you know, you try and do your best, da-da-da-da, and then you go back to church and get a pump-up and you struggle through the rest of the week. And, and that's where I was at. I was really struggling. And I remember Petra talking, and that woman over there has got a lot of wisdom. She's got a lot of wisdom. And she just basically said that it's never going to work unless you commit 100%. It's not just not going to work. And I remember about that age, about 18 or 19, I remember praying in the car with her and absolutely making a commitment that it was you, Lord, or nothing. I gave 100%. And I never, never looked back after that. I mean, I've obviously had ups and downs and had shaky times and da-da-da. But I made that commitment that day to trust the Lord 100% and not be a part-time Christian. Some of you folk... God's called you here today. This is your day of commitment. This is your day to say, Lord, I'm sick of struggling. I'm sick and tired of, you know, pretending to be a Christian on Sunday and then during the week really, really struggling with this thing. I need to make a commitment to you. I need to commit 100% to you. One of the things that Petra and I did in our very early married life, we made a commitment to tithe regularly to the church. We believed that 10% was the figure. Um, in the Old Testament, even without tithing, tithing, God demanded the first fruits of everything. You know, the farmers, the, the best 
lamb that was born, the first lamb that was born, they brought to the temple, the first cow, the first 10% of the crop, the first, the first fruits were God's. And God blessed the people when they gave the first fruits. So we just made that commitment. And back in the 80s, a lot of you will remember this, um, we were living in Hamilton. We took out a mortgage. We bought a house down there when we moved to Hamilton. Um, and we struggled to take that mortgage out. It was right on the edge, you know, for us, as a lot of people do when they take the mortgage out. And mortgage rates were about 8% when we, when we took the mortgage out. It was fairly high. And within two or three years in the late 80s, they're up to 14%. Our repayments on the house doubled. We had kids in private school. We had the normal costs of, you know, of running our lives. And we had a credit card. And down in Hamilton, being a country town, everything was booked up. I remember we went into the local hardware store and I bought some stuff to do on the house. And I went, to, I pulled my cash out and he said, you're paying for this? Because being a farming community, every farmer had an account and everything was booked up. Even our butcher, we'd go to the local butcher and you booked up your meat. So you had accounts absolutely everywhere. Petrol, you booked it up. Now, of course, it's too easy to spend and then you've got to pay for it at the end of the month. And we had the credit card on top and we went broke. Petra and I went broke. We went to our accountant and he just looked at our incomes and outgoings and he shook his head. We just had too much outgoings and not enough incomings. He sent me off to a solicitor in town that I didn't, I didn't know. And that solicitor, and I thought, holy moly, we're going to a solicitor and I can't even afford to put bread on the table and I'm going to a solicitor. He didn't charge me. But what he did, he worked out a plan. He consolidated all our debts into one. He wrote personal letters to all our debtors around town and worked out a payment plan that would get us out of these financial difficulties. One of the things on our sheet of all of our incomes and outgoings, I had tithe and I had the 10% tithe. And he said, you cannot afford to tithe. You can't afford it. Okay. Petra and I came home and we said, we can't afford not to tithe. And we tithed through the really hard time. The good news, within about a couple of years, it took a couple of years of this payment plan, we got back on even keel again where we didn't owe money, we tore the credit card up and, um, you know, things got a lot better than that. We've now got another credit card, but anyhow, that's... But I just want to tell you that if you're faithful to God and you commit your way to God, God will look after you. Can we go down to 1 Peter chapter 4? Just I want to read a couple of little things here. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Just as each of, as each of you have received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ and everything. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Excuse me. Just as each one has received a gift, God has given every one of you a gift to serve others in some way. That gift could be anything. I just listed a few here. Serving, you know, serving in the church, serving in the kitchen, serving, putting chairs out, encouraging one another, 
giving. Some people have a gift of giving, teaching, studying, working with children, working with youth, working with the elderly, believe it or not. The elderly need encouraging as well. Leading a small group, attending a small group, administration in the church, praying. God has given you a gift. Every one of you has a gift, and he wants you to serve it. And I know some of you are going to say to me, well, I don't know. I love God, but I've got no idea what my gift is. No idea. Here's a test. Can anybody see, and don't yell it out, can anybody see any need in this church, something that's not being done really, really well? Just put your hand up if you can see some area in this church that could be improved. Three people. That's a bit of a what? The reason you see that need is because God's given you a gift in that area and he wants you to serve in that area. I mean, I, I remember when I, we came here um, and I just, I just see the need of a floor manager, a floor manager, somebody who can make sure there's, remember before we had these nice chairs, there's sort of never enough chairs out and people didn't know where to sit and, you know, the heating wasn't on or it was too hot or too cold, da, da, da. And I just saw that as a glaring need. Most of you didn't see that because that's what God, had, you know, a bit of management, I didn't end up doing it, so I was a bit naughty, I'll just smack myself in the back of the hand. But I saw that need because God had put that in my heart. Some people see the weeds out the front of the church. Most of us don't. Did you see any weeds on the way into church today? Hands up if you saw a weed on the way in. Okay, there's your gifting. (laughs) There's your gifting, pulling weeds out. All right? If you see a gift of kids running around, you know, being too noisy, go and play with them. Keep them quiet. If you see a need, God is asking you to do something about it. And I'm on the last one. Um, Verse 7. Be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for him. The King James Version says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. If anybody's read through the book of Hebrews, um, I think it's around Hebrews 4, there's a whole chapter devoted to resting in the Lord. Now, resting in the Lord is not doing nothing. Resting with your feet up watching television, watching the cricket, is not resting in the Lord. It's not. It's resting. Resting in the Lord is doing something for God without the stress and the anxiety of trying to do it in your own strength. That's resting in God. All right? Whether you're on the door, whether you're handing out the offering, whether you're going to children's church, if you're doing that completely trusting God and not being anxious and stressful about it, that's resting in God. You need to do something to rest in God. You know, could you imagine somebody who's unemployed? Lord, I'm just going to rest in you. I, I trust you, Lord, that you'll get me a job. Oh, how many jobs have you applied for? None. I'm resting in the Lord. <laughs> how silly is that? You need to apply for jobs, go and do the interviews, and just rest in the Lord. Trust him that he'll find the right one for you. That's all about resting. I'll... Have I gone too long? One last little story. When I was in Hamilton, 
I was worship leader down there. Now, I'm not, a, I'm not a musician. I can't read music. I can play the guitar from ear. I play a bit of piano by ear, but I'm not a musician. And God asked me over a couple of nights and a couple of days to put together a musical. He gave me a dream one night. We were up on the stage. I saw the hall. I saw the group. I saw the crowd in front of us, and we presented this music on the presence of God. We were very big into the presence of God in those days. And so we called the musical In Your Presence. I waited upon the Lord. I rested in him. I didn't try and do it in my own strength. I talked to a couple of guys in the church, in the worship team. They thought it was a great idea. I talked to my pastor. He thought it was a great idea. I had somebody come along board um, who could do the narrating, uh, a lady who had a real heart for God, and God just kept giving me little bits more and more and more of the, the, the narration and the theme through it. And I didn't have that many songs in the presence of the Lord. And we were up in Bendigo visiting our daughter who was at uni at that stage. And we called into a Christian bookshop. And in the Christian bookshop there on the front counter was a little cassette tape in those days. In his presence. And it was a cassette tape full of songs on the presence of the Lord. And... I didn't stress or strain, I just went with the flow. And we ended up putting this wonderful um, musical together. It had a gospel theme through it. Um, the woman who was caught in adultery and how you know, Jesus forgave her um, and brought her into his presence. And, and, and it was just a lovely, lovely musical. And we did. We went out to Glen Thompson one day after a Christmas service and they said, why don't you do the musical? And we did. We went up and... The, You'll never guess, but that's we up on the stage doing that musical. The crowd down below us was exactly the dream God gave me a few months earlier. Exactly what I saw in the spirit. If you said to me now, put a musical together, <laughs> I'd die a thousand deaths. All right? But the difference was I heard from God and I rested in Him and let Him bring to me the resources I need and what I need to do it. Those of you in the music team, those of you in the small group leaders, you can rest in God. God's called you to do that job, but he will bring the resources and what you need to do it so you can rest in the Lord. The hardest thing you'll ever learn is to do everything in God's strength. Even if you're the most spiritual person, to allow God to do it through you and not do it in your own strength is one of the hardest things you'll ever learn. Regularly I say to the Lord, this is, this is my prayer almost daily, Lord, I bring nothing to the table. You have done everything for me. I now empty myself and offer myself as a living sacrifice. Use me to serve others and to bring glory to your name. And it's all in him. Psalm 57 says, The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and a humbled heart. God wants you to be humble before him and rest in him and allow him to do it for you. And one of the other challenges in your life is to wait on God's timing. God might give you a bit of a vision or an insight of where he wants you to take you, but you need to wait on the Lord for the right timing. Talk to the pastor and he'll help you in that area. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. I'm going to just a conclusion now. God wants us to commit and delight Commit and delight. You will rarely get one without the other. You're not going to really commit to the Lord unless you delight in the Lord. And I tell you, if you delight in the Lord, it's going to be very hard not to commit to him. 
You need to make those your goals for this year to commit to him. We're here at the start of 2019. I know January's almost gone. But we need to make a new commitment. I'm going to challenge you this morning to make a new commitment. If nothing else, make a commitment to trust the Lord this year. Whatever comes along, we live in a broken world, folk. We live, you know, broken world. Things will happen this year. But God's saying now, are you willing to trust me today and for the rest of 2019? Are you willing, ready to trust me with your time, to invest time in the giving, in the gifts that you've given me, in my prayer and my serving? And I just really would challenge you. Think about what area you would like to serve the Lord in, to commit yourself to the Lord in. If you've got no idea, go and talk to Jono afterwards and say, Jono, I'm willing, I've got no idea. Be honest with him. Talk to one of the small group leaders. You know, I, I want to serve the Lord, but I'm not sure how. And God will take that openness and that willingness and he will make stars out of scars in your life. Let's pray. Lord God, we do delight in you. There's no place we would rather be than in your presence, Lord, with our brothers and sisters who love you. And Lord, we encourage each other and be encouraged as we come together. But Lord, right now in this stillness of this quiet moment, Lord, we can hear your voice, the voice of the Holy Spirit challenging us, Lord, to make a commitment to you, Lord. We don't know what 2019 will hold, Lord, but Lord, we know that you are trustworthy. You are faithful, God. We remind ourselves of your faithfulness every day, Lord. And so, Lord, we just give this day to you. We give this year to you, Lord. Help us not to go home today without doing something, Lord, trusting the Lord and doing good, Lord, that we would act upon your moving of your spirit. So bless these people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.